Interruptions Podcast, where we have heartfelt and sacred discussions about our culture, faith traditions, and community. We invite guests who are open and willing to share their journey and disrupt the silence on their personal and professional interruptions that may have impacted their lives as it relates to our mental health. Kathy and I are passionate about every episode and committed to providing actionable advice that you can apply today to reinvent yourself on your life journey and encourage you to develop a path toward healing. Our podcast today is titled A Path Toward Healing. I am one of your hosts, Reverend O. And I'm the other host, Kathy Patton. Hi, Odell. I never get tired of your introduction. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And you think by now I know it by heart, but I just still... No, are you kidding? (laughs) It's like the one time I tried to do it without it, I I messed up. So I stay focused. (laughs) Mm -mm. No, I get it. I get it. (laughs) I'm excited about our show today. We have had sessions on sessions of interruptions and trauma and stories and guests from all over and we'll talk about that but today we're talking about healing talking about the purpose of why we are here so it is our pleasure to welcome to the room to have a great conversation this evening with us uh anola aired she is the founder and president of community network healing So let's welcome Enola to the room. Hello, hello, hello. Hi. (laughs) Welcome to be with you. Thank you so very much. Thank you. I know you are a busy woman. And I said, let me, I didn't even tell Kathy I was going to reach out to you because sometimes you're just so busy. I don't know where you are in the world. (laughs) And when you responded, I was like, oh. She responded, oh, yes. Well, I I think I told you some time ago, I would always do my best to respond to you. (laughs) And you do just that. Um, So we thank you for being here. And even though we know who you are, our listeners probably do not. So a couple things we would like for you to do as you introduce yourself. Can you tell us something about you that people don't know? That's, you know, it's it's on the airwaves once you say it. Uh, (laughs) And um, what do you want people to know about the community network healing that that they can't discover on on your social media site and website? Community healing network, yeah. Um, So uh, what do I want people to know? Um, It might be obvious to some, but my name, Enola, uh, spelled backwards is alone. Um, and that's always had some meaning for me um, because I've always thought of myself as a singular, not in any kind of special way, but um, kind of on my own. And that's given me a sense of um, courage, um, willingness to go, you know, take out my own path. Um, so that just has a lot of meaning for me. What I would like people to know about Community Healing Network is that we are bound and determined to go after, to attack the root cause of the devaluing of Black lives. There's this uh, sense that we have in our community so often that um, special holidays, you know, Juneteenth is about to come up and people will probably say something like this, which we say every year, we've come a long way and we've got a long way to go. As though our lot in life is to suffer indefinitely. And I just happen to think that um, our goal as people of African ancestry should be to uh, set very clear deadlines for ending the suffering that um, I believe is fundamentally rooted in this lie that was told uh, 600 plus years ago about the inferiority of black people. And so my view is uh, we shouldn't any longer be talking about, you know, how some revolutionaries, radicals in the sixties and even now talk about, you know, the struggle continues. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I'm like, let's call a halt to that let us think in terms of the struggle is ending and let us use that 
affirmative statement because we have the power to end it and we should take that power and use it. I like that. The struggle has ended. That, that is ending. We ain't we is, is, completely is, is done yet. Ending. But we're That's working on it because it's got to come to an end. Our children deserve yes, uh, the best. They deserve to flourish in this world. And as long as we, 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 we accept the notion that ours is suffering, right? Mm-hmm. That suffering is a part of life, but yes. we don't need, nor do we deserve the special suffering that comes with being Black in an anti-Black world. And as you were saying, thank you. As you was talking about your name, I looked at it. I said, oh, it does say hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it does. Anola, uh, thank you for that wonderful opening. Now, we know that you are a woman of faith. And the mission that you have created, the path that you're on, is not something that, you know, you woke up one morning and say, hey, this is what I think that I'm going to do. We know that it is truly a divine intervention. So when you receive that call from God, that clear message that said, you are the one, this is the call. This is what I want you to do. What was it and where were you when you received it? You know, it wasn't any one place or one time, you know, there was, you know, there was no striking of anything. Um, there were just little places along the road that that started actually when I was very young. Um, um, my grandmother was a very lovely person, but she had some ways that were, um, for me, very problematic. I mean, it was very clear very early on that she had a preference for light, lighter skin. And so I never understood um, that. And to the degree that it um, had her hurting people that I loved, um, that was deeply problematic. So there was that. Um, There were instances along the way where I would, for example, I often tell the story and I'd say, tell tell on the website about being in a nightclub in, in Washington, D.C. and being there with a woman who was clearly inebri- inebriated, um, goes to the restroom, we're in the restroom, my friend and I, and she comes out of the stall, looks at herself in the mirror and says, here you are, Dee Dee, old, black, and ugly as usual. Mm-hmm. And that just, you know, it it hurt my heart so much. And it made me think about how many of my family, the of, of people of African ancestry, feel that way because of this lie, because of this 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 false construct of race that says that mm-hmm. you know some people are better than other people, and there was that, and um, just a number a number of other things. Um, but the day that I really knew I was doing, I'd been doing this work for a very long time. And, and one day I was completely discouraged and I just really wanted to to stop. And I don't know, many people many people who are listening will know B. Doja Taylor, who yes, uh, yes. did a walk in truth for, for many years. And I always want to give her props because on that day, and I was at my worst, she called. And I would, she just, you know, checking in on me. She didn't expect to encounter someone who was just at at a very low ebb. And um, I was just so depressed about it that I cried. I just cried. And and she basically said, you've been called. You have no choice but to do this. Accept it. And from that moment on, it was just very clear. I mean, it really steeled my spine and I've just not had any doubts, any, you know, obviously some days you get upset, some days it's are harder than others, but um, I was very um, strengthened that day and it's a strength that I'm not lost. Um, so I'm always very grateful to be for many, many reasons, but that's one of them. Yes, she is an awesome person. She is an I awesome person. Remember coming to New Haven and realizing that she had a bookstore, mm-hmm. and the, my children were young, and I was taking them through her bookstore, and I actually had her to frame some pictures for me, 
And, you know, she looked at my daughter my and my son and she gave them a book. She said, read this. Yep. That's <laughs> me. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that was awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So, Nola, let me, uh, it's, your story is interesting in terms of you talking about your, your grandmother and, and how she viewed light skin versus dark skin. And so that's, that's really key because I think when we talk about, um, our struggle, we always are focused on external racism, but we also um, know that there's internal racism as well. And so when you were creating the healing network, did you, which, which really um, were you focused on? Was it the internal or external or both? Because it's, it's hard either way, but we sure. almost expect the external. It is more difficult for the internal. It's, it's both but with a special focus on the internal, because th this is how amazing black people are, right? Every human being born over the last 600 years plus has been born carrying this extra burden since this, this lie existed and, it, and it, it, was, it was created obviously to justify the enslavement of African people, um, but it really just permeated the earth um, everywhere that black people find themselves, which is everywhere, um, there is this idea, as, as Isabel Wilkinson talks about in her book, Cast, right? It wasn't just um, enslavement for a period of time. It was a marking of an entire continent and its people as inferior, as less than human, almost like animals. And so we've, we've been carrying this weight with us from the moment that we're born. Mm -hmm. And in spite of that, we have done, and our ancestors have done amazing things, amazing. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's think how much more we're gonna be able to accomplish once we have taken the time to heal. We have taken the time because then we're in control of ourselves. We are back in our righteous minds. We are then able to, to do the kind of strategizing that is necessary to build the kind of trust within our family as people of African ancestry that enables us to work more effectively together. So I believe that we, once we get ourselves together, healing from the lie, will then be able to figure out ways, I have no idea exactly how, but I have every faith that we will be able to figure out a way to free ourselves and our children and really extinguish the lie once and for all. Because what we can see is if we don't extinguish the lie, doesn't matter how many constitutional amendments, doesn't matter how much legislation, how much protesting, how much litigation, mm -hmm. the lie is what continues to keep us um, in a space that, um, that is untenable. Mm -hmm. yeah. Enola, if you could, I'm going to come back to that because um, that's a, a future question I have for you. But that story that you told about the dark skinned woman that looked in the mirror and said that she was black and ugly. Um, if you could see her today, mm. what would you say to her now that you've gone through your journey, your training, your travels? What would you say to this woman today? I would say to her, Didi, I wish you could see the beauty that you are. I wish that that day that had never happened. Uh, obviously, it, was, it wasn't a singular day for her because she said, as usual. Mm. I wish that the world were not constructed in such a way that every day that you looked in the mirror, you felt that way about yourself. Mm. You didn't deserve that. You deserved so much more. Um, and I do often think about her. I mean, I can see her um, because she was, for me, really pivotal. I mean, her words really pierced my heart. And again, it was, you know, many other things led me to, to this particular path. But that was extraordinary because here was a grown woman. She was probably drinking herself to death. Um, and I don't know what other burdens or pain she was carrying, but the pain of not being able to look at yourself in the mirror and like what you see, 
that is, you know, it is such a crime against our humanity. When we, when we think about, you know, um, of course I'm in favor of reparations, but when you think about what is the real claim, what is the most compelling claim for reparations? I've always maintained that it is what this lie did to us and our ability to love ourselves and each other. Yeah. To love it, what we see it, when we look in the mirror. Ab- absolutely, it's it's that out that outer image that um, and out and it's it's that outer image that we project. If I I'm listening to you and I remember years well not yeah years ago I would always I had thirty wigs. <laughs> I, I, I had thirty. 30. 30 wigs. I had a whole, when I got divorced, I said, I'm going to look different. And like, it made a difference on the outside. Mm-hmm. I had bobs, weaves, wig, wigs over the hair. I had ponytails. I had buns, you know, and they were all straightly permed and just, you know, curly. And I've never looked like that. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, that's how I wanted, I felt I needed to define myself to be accepted when I was going on job interviews and going for places and people would always compliment me because white folks weren't sure if it was my hair or weave and they weren't going to say anything, but I had 30 of them. And then later in life, when I went to my church and I embraced my blackness, Mount Airy Baptist Church, I embraced my blackness. I found- Thank God for Mount Airy. Yes, I found <laughs> women who were proud mm-hmm. to be black. Not just proud to be woman, but proud to women, but proud to be black and who they were. And <laughs> Pastor Bennett said to me one day, I was working for him for a couple of months. He says, I don't know who you are sometimes when you come to the door. <laughs> he says, I don't know whether I should say to you, can I help you or good morning, you know? Um, but I embraced it. And I started, you know, cut, gave all the wigs away to my sorority sisters and, and friends and cut my hair, went natural. And this was a journey to embrace it because I walked around like this for a very long time. <laughs> and, and I was scared of how people were going to perceive natural black mm-hmm. beauty. Mm-hmm. And I did. I found I found me there. Yeah and embraced it because that people like Kathy's there, you know, just natural black beauty. Mm -hmm. So, Enola, when you, when, when people go to your website, because we were telling them early, I went to your website and it's beautiful. I love it. It's colorful, right? It's not heavy with um, jargons and, 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 and liturgy. It's just clear you can get through it. So it's, it's craftily done very beautifully. When you, when people go to your website, what do you want them to walk away with? And what do you want them to know? What do you want them to know and do? That we, as people of African ancestry, have been living our lives according to a narrative written for us by other people to serve their interests for the last six centuries. That narrative is grounded in the lie of white superiority and black inferiority. That's what shapes our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I want us to know that we deserve more, our children deserve more, and that it is well past time for us to um, break with that narrative, to say no to that narrative affirmatively and create a new or renewed African narrative that's grounded in the truth of black humanity. In 2019, we chose to celebrate the 400th anniversary of the first recorded forced arrival of Africans in the United States by going to Virginia, the place on United States soil or American soil where the lie was first planted by Thomas Jefferson. The lie really originates, um, the first written justification for the lie comes in about the 14, early 1400s when Prince Henry the Navigator, who we hear of as this big you know, explorer, um, uh, enslaves uh, about 927 or 937 um, Africans and, and 
in trying to justify why it's okay to do this. He, he commissions people to write about it. And later on, Zerara, one of the scribes in the Portuguese court, writes about the fact that these people are, um, are not like us, they're like beasts, they're of a lower order, lesser beings. And um, so we went to Virginia where Thomas Jefferson in his notes on the state of Virginia had waxed kind of poetic about um, the lie, like inferiority and kind of cast himself as an expert in this thing in the lie. Very ironic when you think about his life. But um, we felt that there was a, a need for us to go there spiritually to make a spiritual break with the lie in observance of that anniversary in honor of and in celebration of the lives of our ancestors to make a spiritual break with the with the thing that really was the most powerful weapon ever formed against black people and so we walked the trail of the enslaved african um and we we spoke words of of rejection of that lie and a determination to build something entirely new grounded in the truth. So that's what we want people to know that we are, um, you'll see on the website, it says, when you go there, we're escaping, come with us. Well, we're escaping from that narrative that has been shaping our lives for so long and shaping everyone's lives really. Um, and, and, and we're going off, we're peeling off. We peeled off spiritually and symbolically in 2019. And so we're going in an entirely different direction and inv inviting people across the diaspora to join us. Because again, um, I was born in Panama of West Indian parents. I know that this is a problem that besets uh, people of African ancestry wherever we are, including on the continent. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Speak speaking of escaping, I don't know if I wanna use the word escaping or recognition, um, but this year, um, there seems to be a correlation or recognition of uh, trauma and mental health as it relates to racism. Um, I, for, for me, I think when, when it really started, not that we didn't already know that it, it, it existed, but when the whole issue of George Floyd in such a, a video that was so graphic and then, then we heard, I, and I should say, I, I heard a lot of comeback as, oh, that was horrible. Uh, that never should have happened. How could we allow that to happen? And you almost want to just sit there and say like, uh, okay, right? It's like, <laughs> uh, we've been telling you this for a minute now, mm -hmm. but now all of a sudden now the, the words of mental health um, being impacted by the trauma of of our communities of color and the recognition of it. Why do you think now that this correlation is coming to pass? Well, I think that, that George Floyd, as it happened, uh, May 25th was Africa Day. So May 25th of 2020 um, is Africa Day. And on this day, um, not only did George Floyd get brutally killed. That was also the day that the young, the woman in, in Central Park um, almost got Mr. Christian killed um, by calling the police on him while he was bird watching. And so for me, what makes George Floyd different from Philando Castile, who in that very same city was brutally killed by a police officer who, who shoots him in the front of his car and watches him bleed out in front of his his wife, girlfriend, or and, and, sh and little girl in the back of the car. I thought that was brutal. I thought that was horrible. And I would have thought that that would have gotten to people in some deep way. For me, what makes the difference is that we were two months into our own trauma, the trauma of COVID two months into an experience that kind of forced us to come to terms with, with issues of humanity. I very much remember um, uh, Anderson Cooper, 
talking a lot during that time of, you know, we need to have a new definition of humanity, a, a definition that says it's, it's a we definition, which is, of course, an African definition, the Ubuntu definition of I am because we are. And we, it's not about I anymore. Uh, you know, the American definition, the European definition can't be about that anymore, because if we are all about I, then we're all going to die. <laughs> we have to be we people. And, and so I think two months into that, recognizing that we had to be we people or being called to be we people, we had a, a, a heightened sense of our humanity and our vulnerability. And I think that that was a big part of it, that we were thinking more about what it means to be human. We were thinking more about um, the fact that we were losing people, that we were in the grip of something in which we were completely out of control. So we were much more introspective, not to mention the fact that we were at home and had time to, to, to ponder these things. And the sheer brutality of it, the sheer brutality of it against that backdrop of being having a heightened sensitivity to questions of humanity and shared humanity. And then I mean, the man looked right into the camera, right into a camera held by a, a little girl. Mm -hmm. the, the lack of humanity there was just stunning. Yes, that, that's a, been a hard picture to watch and to look at his lack of compassion with his hands in his pocket. Mm -hmm. I'm entitled. I get. To, I get to do this. Right, and nothing's um, going to happen to me. Nothing's going to happen to me because I am. Mm -hmm. You know, look, for our audience, you mentioned the word. It was Africa Day. Can you explain yes. that so that our oh, listeners May, yes. know? May twenty fifth uh, every year is Africa Day celebrated. It's also Africa Liberation Day. Um, it's the anniversary of the founding of the Organization of American African Unity, which is now the African Union. Um, and it is a time, not just, it, it really focuses on African unity, pan-African unity. And um, we have celebrated it now officially for the last two years, but it arises out of um, our healing journey as an organization, really coming to believe that we must um, do Sankofa, really recover our sense of ourselves. We must go back to Africa philosophically and um, in terms of values to really understand what it is, uh, as Arne Bontam says, uh, what have we forgotten wandering in these strange lands? There are things that we have forgotten that we need, but those things are also with us. We are also carrying them, right? We, we left there, but thank God for heritage and our ancestors who preserved those things. So we're there. We, we understand them vaguely. We now need to really be much more systematic and and concentrated about figuring out what is it that makes us African mm -hmm. um, that has preserved our Africanness. Um, for me, my, my favorite um, example uh, I have two. One is when my children came to me really early on when they just begun to talk and they said, well, we, we, why, why do we call so-and-so aunt? We just realized she's not really our aunt. We're not really related. It's like, okay, that is everywhere you find African people, you find that notion mm -hmm. that we're, our families are really huge. Our families are bigger than the biology. And that's very much in a, in a sort of, you know, it's the Ubuntu way. I am because we are. I cannot be me without you. I cannot be happy. I cannot be content while my people suffer. I can't. Yes. And I might wish that I could, but I can't. That is a culture that we do embrace to this day. Um, yeah. My children, you know, love Kathy and my granddaughter is seven and she goes, oh, I said, that's, we're going to Aunt Kathy's house. Mm -hmm. Oh, is, 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 is she my mommy's sister? <laughs> I'm like, no, right. she's not your mommy's sister. But why do I have to call her Aunt Kathy? I said, Try exactly. calling the Kathy and see what happens. <laughs> exactly. That's the other thing, right? Reverence for our elders, right? Yeah, my, that's, I, yes. Yeah. I yeah. said that once to my mother's friend. I called uh -oh. her by her. I, I was about oh, nine. Dear. 
And mm. I just called out her name and said, hi, so-and-so. And she <laughs> said, Gerber put a handle on my name and the whole table <laughs> just turned around. And it's like, okay, I will never do that again. Mm-hmm. No, there are people, no, we love. all my elders who they're now dead. But when I refer to them, they're, they've transitioned. When I refer to them, they're st- still Miss Doris, Miss Grace. Yes. Miss, right? I mean, I'm in my 60s and I can't get out of that. And mm-hmm. I love it, right? I love it because it suggests a certain kind of order, uh, African order, that I have come to understand even more now that I, than I did before. And I'm so grateful for it um, because I know it's something that is shared with people in the Caribbean, Caribbean people in, in, in the United Kingdom, in Sweden, wherever we are, um, whether we're in Panama or Barbados or Accra, we share this in common. And it is such a good thing. It's such a good thing to respect your elders. I oh, accept that oh. as a, an absolute good. Absolutely. Yes. I you know get around other cultures and they call people by their first name and it's like... <gasps> You know, how do you do that? (laughs) You know, at at, at Harvard Seminary, you know, all the professors and and the presidents, they're all on a first name basis. Everybody calls them by their first name, Mm -hmm. except Bishop Benjamin Watts. Everybody calls him Bishop Watts. Mm -hmm. Reverend Dr. Alvan Johnson, they call him Dr. Johnson, Reverend Johnson. No one calls him Alvan or, or, or Benjamin. Um, and Reverend Starworth. Mm-hmm. And when Reverend Judy was there, it was Reverend Judy. So the black professors that are there are everyone calls them she, by yeah. them. No yeah. one, I said, I dare someone to call. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's not if I dare you, it's not something that we do. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> they're do. the yeah. only ones that get called by their title and it's in our culture. Mm-hmm. It is, you know? it is. And I mean, there's so many things about our culture that I love. I love our music, the different forms of it. I mean, I just, I just really love. Um, I love being black. I love black people. I love blackness. I love Africanness. Um, and so, you know, it, it's just natural that I would do what I do. And I just wanted to to pay tribute to my great grandfather Samuel Aline, who who was a, a loyal follower of the Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey. I, I consider myself a Garvey woman in terms of my commitment to self-reliance and self-determination and Pan-Africanism. Okay. Well, this next question is right in line. This is, this is wonderful. Um, so we, we want you to dream for just a second and dream both ways. We want you to go back. And what would we as a people, what would Black people look like today if we were not told that lie and oh. were treated equally <laughs> with respect and not dehumanized, what would mm. you know? What would we look like today? So I want to I want to just question the word the use of the word equal, okay? Because because it suggests again the lie that they are the standard. We're all human. There is no such thing as race. It is a social construct designed to oppress people by another people. And so with that little caveat, I have no idea what it would be like, Mm. but I think it would be astonishing. I think that the, when we were in our, we did a global truth campaign and tour that left here from New Haven in 20, 2018. It was supposed to go to 2020. We obviously had to stop. But in 2019, after Richmond in Virginia, we went to Omaha, Nebraska. And at our Community Healer Awards ceremony, we were, um, we had the opportunity to hear from um, an after-dinner talk from Professor Imani. And he said something that I think was just so on point. He said, we Black people embody in our very incarnation the struggle 
for the definition of what it means to be human. You see, the issue of black people and white people has been about much more than us. We are the, the battleground on which the struggle for this value system has been worked out. It was the value system of I, I think therefore I am, I, radical individualism, self-indulgence and materialism, or we, I am because we are, a person is a person through other persons. Those are the, the value systems that have been competing and the I has been winning. Yes. And so I think, and it's a beautiful question and I love it, thank you for it. I think that the we would have been ascendant. Mm if that had not happened. If that had not. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that the we is much more hospitable to humanity, mm-hmm. much more hospitable to the recognition that we human beings are meant to be connected. We're not meant to be, you know, sort of radically individualistic atoms that just spin around each other, using each other for um, our ends. But that that this, this matter of Ubuntu is about a deep human interconnectedness. And I'm not trying to overly sentimentalize Africa and Africans, African values. It would have been a struggle because, you know, everything is a struggle when you're a human being. Yes. But I, I think we would have, we would have had, we would have had different aspirations about, about how to live and how to be in the world. Okay. Um, one other question. If we, how would, now that we have been, racism has been deemed a mental health issue and, you know, I'm seeing more people of color on television than I've ever seen before in TV shows and leading roles, um, commercials. And it's like, what's going on? Taking over, you know, CEO companies and businesses. And it's just, you know, it's, it's different. And mental health is available where it wasn't available to us before for mental health. What would it look like? What do you want us to do with this now that it's available, now that people are saying racism has been an issue and, you know, police officers are being prosecuted for dehumanizing people of color. What do you want us to do with these new changes that are coming we've had a black president we got a black vice president um what do you want us to do with this i want us first of all to recognize that it's it it, it, there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of signifying right Mm -hmm. um we need to make it real we need to make it real and sustainable and lasting because we know that um in the movie, I'm going to get you sucker. You get, I was thinking about it this week because, because, um, you know, Clarence Williams, the third, um, transition and my favorite role of his was in, I'm going to get you sucker where they talk about where the, the guy comes back from, from Vietnam and he, his neighborhood is a mess and he goes to Clarence's character who was a old line radical and, Clarence is living an entirely different life now. And the guy says to him, uh, you know, what happened? And he said, we, we were, we went down. Yes, I see it. My favorite line, I hear you. We went down, take over the government office, and they were giving out jobs that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so we know that capitalism co-ops everything. And so just beware of, whatever seems like activity, whatever seems like progress, in the absence of the destruction of that lie, everything else is smoke and mirrors. Okay. Okay. Um, Anola, Odell and I um, are going to talk a little bit more about this towards the end, our peer-to-peer mental, mental wellness coaching that we're going to be doing in the community. Odell, do you want to just give a couple of lines about it now so Anola knows what we're, why I'm going to I ask do, her and I, I, we've question. talked about it. I think it's okay, awesome. great. Wonderful. Think it's awesome. Okay. All right. Wonderful. So then I don't have to spoil 
spoil it for the audience. <laughs> what, what would you advise us to pay attention to to help the community of color on the generation of trauma and mental wellness? So I would, of course, uh, when you have a hammer, everything is a nail. So my hammer is this focus on the lie. And I would just say, I would ask you to recognize that because of the lie, um, our community comes into the world and stays in the world on relatively shaky emotional and psychological foundations because of the lie, right? We're living in a world that fundamentally devalues our lives. That's got to keep you, you know, it's got to keep you a little bit off balance. And so we believe, I believe that it is necessary as a baseline that we have an awareness of the lie, an awareness of the need to free ourselves from the lie, emotional emancipation as a baseline uh, for mental health and mental wellness for black people. For example, we have a wonderful relationship with a group of sisters in Rochester, New York, who are building a ecosystem for optimal black wellness. But the foundation for that ecosystem for optimal black wellness is the emotional emancipation circle because it goes after the you know the foundations, strengthening up, shoring up our foundations, which are weak because of the lie. So we start there and then we begin to build on it and other areas of wellness that we can um, can strengthen, et cetera. But I do believe that they're right. And I'm, I'm really grateful and proud of the work that they're doing that uh, a very important first piece, first initiative has to be dealing with the with freedom from the lie of white superiority and black inferiority, what we call emotional emancipation. When I went through your training, it was awesome experience, great conversations. Um, it helped to shape the framework for the work that we're doing. I'm so, so glad. You have, your program has empowered me and I looked at it differently. Um, and Kathy and I, and we'll talk about it later. Um, you know, what we know that not everyone is going to receive this. So what advice do you have for us? You know, when we, when you, cause not, not everybody initially agrees with what you're doing or supported you, funded you, um, showed up for your events until now that you're famous and you're out there. And it's <laughs> oh, like, girl. hey, now we want to know, now we want to know, we want community healing. You know, now that you're there, they want you, but until you got there, you, you got a lot of, you know, bumps, bumps along the way. And what advice do you have for Kathy and I so that we don't yeah. lose focus and get this hearted and, you know, cause it black folks, we can, you know, really hurt one another bad. It's true, we partly because of the lie, partly because of the lie. Um, I would say to you what, what B said to me, remember your call. Remember your call. This is what you've been called to do. And I remember when I was chairing the Commission on Children um, years and years ago, and we were dealing with some major issue and I had to go present something. And this, this woman, as I was walking up, she just had, you know, put her hand on my, my, my um, elbow and she said, you know, remember, God has called you by your name. He will not let you falter. Hmm remembering that if you've been called, you will be given everything that you need to complete the task. And and my mother would always say, you know, if once you put your hand to the plow, do not take it off. Wonderful. One of, and, and not too long ago, in one of our podcasts, we had two uh, pastors on our show and we were, the conversation was around um, talking about as Odell was going through her trauma and the loss of her son, um, one of the things that she dreaded hearing, and I think most of us do if we're going through a loss and a sense of trauma, is just to um, pray it away. Just pray and, and everything will be fine. And so while we still believe in prayer, that wasn't our premise to say that we don't, we also know that 
prayer comes with actions. And so we had a conversation when, with the pastors to ask them about how do they speak and share with their congregation that sometimes you need more than prayer. And so if faith is so rooted in our history, how did the church get so disconnected from the true needs of their congregation? Or do you think it has gotten disconnected from the needs of their congregation? I, I, I do think it has. Um, uh, I think in the, in the United States, everything is disconnected from the needs of human beings. Um, because our value system is driven by one very simple, you know, sort of trio of, of words, radical individualism, self-indulgence, instant gratification, and materialism, right? That's four. That's, those are the driving values of this culture. It's the I value system versus the we value system. And I think that being in this culture um, every institution has been affected. And it's perfectly obvious that the faith community has been affected as well. Um, and so there is a need for a revival, revival and authenticity about what the work is about. Um, we live in a culture that doesn't just devalue black life, devalues life generally. Mm -hmm. And so how can we be um, very aggressive in helping to recover our sense of our own humanity so that we can be helpful in restoring that sense of humanity to the larger culture? I actually think that that's a big part of our call. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we we've had uh, we've had you know the pastors on. We're talking about the black church and mental health, and is the church really listening? And we're still trying to figure out. They're trying to figure it out. Someone called me today and said, "Hey, churches are hiring consultants to help them." And it's like, "Oh, well, yeah, that's <laughs> that's a good thing that pastors are realizing that they need help." Um, that they're not supposed to try to carry this burden by themselves True. because it's it's more than just this pandemic. You said it's it's our history. It's it's what we've been carrying. Um, I'm just in love with this conversation. <laughs> I, I'm grateful for it too. I've had a very long and hard day, and I feel completely revived by this conversation. <laughs> you know, one of the things that. Kathy and I have discovered as we're trying to pull together this Let's Talk program is that, you know, I've been advised not to call it, refer to it as mental health because people of color don't like it. Young people stay away from it. Um, and when you hear mental health, they think psychiatric ward craziness and, and so forth. So I was, it was recommended that we call it emotional wellness. Um, it's like, okay, so when you hear that, Enola, word, emotional wellness, trying to do this peer-to-peer -peer program, how do you think people are going to receive that? I love it. I love it because um, we, we use the term emotional emancipation, healing, wellness, and empowerment. That's, that's the, you know, the, the string of things we're interested in promoting. Emotional emancipation first because we need to be free from the lie in order to have the prospect of wellness uh, or healing and then wellness to, to get a sense of wholeness about oneself and then emotional empowerment, right? How do you um, develop the tools of emotional intelligence and emotional um, wellness to, to be able to manage your self so that you can be a powerful agent in the world and do the kinds of things that you are uh, have been called to do. If you cannot manage your emotions, it's very, very hard to do the things that you've been called to do, the things that you may want to do. Um, the, the muscles just aren't there. The emotional muscles aren't there to carry the intellectual ambitions and aspirations. Um, I like wellness very much because it's something for everybody, right? 
Okay. Everybody who is black needs to work toward emotional wellness because we are in a world that is fundamentally not for us, has been constructed not to be for us. So therefore we are all called to emotional wellness from myself to Barack Obama to Michelle Obama. And Michelle Obama has been wonderful in speaking to this issue. And, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you have, what the titles are, you know, you've got to deal with this issue. Um, and so striving for emotional wellness, really understanding what it is and recognizing that as a general rule, we haven't paid enough attention to it. We, you know, everybody talks about you. Um, if you get a broken leg, you know what to do, you know where to go yes. and you run to it. But if you are broken in spirit, um you are admonished to you know get over it move on that's that's the ethic and i do think that we're in a inflection point where people are saying no i'm not going to do it anymore props to naomi osaka props mm -hmm. to, for her for saying you know what yes, I, I, yes, I, I was I'm, i've been depressed yeah. and i'm not yes. going to put myself that's through fair. this anymore yes. i'm not going to let you force me to do this not for money not for anything not for fame mm -hmm. Yeah. Props they, to that young lady. And they still find her, uh, still find her financially. And it's it's, it's like you got to. I'm sure she could afford that. Bless yeah. her heart. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure she can afford that. <laughs> but, you know, I'm glad she did it also. I'm glad she did it. I'm, and I'm glad, you know, Oprah is talking about it. She's talking about adverse childhood experiences. And um, all of those things are, you know, have been we've ignored them in the past. So I think we're in the in the process of, of making a big change as a culture. And I completely endorse and support what you're doing. And I do like emotional wellness. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Um, we're yep. looking forward it. to we're looking forward to moving forward. Um, I'm just going no my la our last question for you before we wrap up. What I have we have two questions. We have two questions. Uh -oh. You had okay. You have one. You you wanted to talk oh, about. Oh yes. Well, you uh -huh. can ask yours first, Kathy. Uh oh. Okay. All right. So, Anola, I see your candle behind you. I love it. Um, we're twenty three podcasts in, and it never even dawned on me that that would <laughs> that might help me be a little bit more relaxed when we're in the podcast. So I want to ask you on as you share. The journey of healing with so many. What do you do for self? Ah, well, if if I weren't talking with you right now, there would be music in the background, and it would be kind of loud. Um, music sustains me. Music of all mm. kinds: jazz, Latin music, African music, um, and uh, dancing. I like to dance. Um, I do like candles. This, uh, and but only one one scent, and that is vineyard. Um, vineyard scent. It's just absolutely calming to my spirit. Um, I've learned through the emotional emancipation circles, uh, seven important resilience tools, which I don't practice as much as I should, but when I do, um, it makes all the difference in the world. And um, although I have for a big chunk of my life been a workaholic, I, uh, it, at the last minute of my life <laughs> that I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, and uh, we were talking about the chair of CHN's board, Diane Turner, uh, two weeks ago, she said to me, said, you know, you're just working too hard and you need to say that you're not going to work on the weekends. You're just going to work on within this, this frame of time. And at first I was like, Oh, she doesn't know how busy I am, blah, blah, blah. But then I said, gee, thank you so much for caring enough about me to say, stop. And, and it's also a recognition of, I don't have to solve every problem. Yes. Um, and I don't, uh, so, uh, someone, I was on a, a program and someone asked, they said, I've retired, but I'm working so hard. I'm doing, and there is the sense of, I have to almost earn my right to breathe. And I think black women have that a lot. I certainly have had that. The sense that, you know, I've, I've got to work. I mean, maybe it's because I was once a Catholic. I don't know. But there's this sense of having to just work, 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 work. Yes. Um, because 
because you know sacrifice is good, which I believe. Um, obligation is good, which I believe. But there's got to be a limit, and um, I finally reached it, and I feel really good about that. I'm looking forward to just not doing so much stuff. I spent a lot of time going out and photographing um, nature, primarily at the. Spent a lot of time at the beach as well. That's wonderful. Wonderful. No, my question for you, when I say for me, um, Kathy and I talk about this with all of our guests is that there are times when we just want to, you know, enjoy life. Just be Kathy, just be Enola, um, just be Odell. But then someone sees you and then all of a sudden it's um, I'm Reverend Cooper, you know, and they have a question for Kathy. And when does that happen to you a lot when people see you, they have one of these cultural questions for you, want you to solve their, you know, ancestry problems or their blackness problems, or do they just see you and just happy to see you out? Well, I hardly ever go out anymore. That's one thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have a reference point for this. Um, and I go back to where I started. Um, Enola spelled backwards is alone. And so I do spend a lot of time alone. I do spend a lot of time, you know, sort of walking by myself. And I'm not a particularly gregarious person. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't walk the streets, you know, certainly in the last year and a half, I have not been out enough to to have that happen. Um, but, you know, it happens to some degree on Zoom and it happens, around questions of, can you do this? Can you speak here? Can you, you know, all on Zoom now. But um, I did this the other day and I'll do this again. My husband gave me this several years ago um, and, and I really have been trying to practice it more. And I don't just show it to people, I do this. No, no, no. <laughs> um, Where did really, you get that from? He, I think he got it at Staples. Oh, gotta um, get, Kathy have to get us one. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember using that. That's the one problem. of my grandnephews came over and he was like, he was completely fascinated by it. He said, we've got to get one of these. Um, and I do I do recommend it to to really understand that you we all have the right to just say no. We we, yeah. we have no obligations, right? Um, other than the most basic uh, of decency. But when it comes to just you can't, I realize that I can't solve every problem. I have no um, responsibility to do so. So gently declining and just saying, no, I can't. Thank you. Anola, thank you. Thank you so much. You have such a calming demeanor and I feel like I'm on my, my journey to healing, just listening to you. So thank you so much. Well, that, that is, that is, that is a gift <laughs> from God. And I, I also want to say, and you, you, um, referred to it at the very beginning, Odell, that everything that has been done through Community Healing Network has been God and ancestors at every single step. And so I can never end a conversation without saying that and acknowledging that. And it's absolutely reassuring. Well, thank you. Thank you. What Odell and I try to do is expose that a life interruption can sometimes be traumatic or just that an interruption in our lives. And it can be temporary or permanent, depending on the, how we take it in our perspective in life. We'll continue to discuss the impact of drama, trauma and mental health and how a moment can just alter our journey in life. Our podcasts for, are for anyone who needs to hear the message. In May, we had a lot of conversations about mental health because it was mental health awareness, although we've been talking about it all year in our podcast. And we talk about the faces of mental wellness as well and the stigmas that come with that and associated, which is why it's so important for us to talk about it so people are not afraid to ask for help. In our podcast today, we started talking about, or you started talking about the journey toward healing. So no matter the issue of trauma we face, it's our hope that everyone can begin to move towards healing and towards that moment where they feel like they are able to now start to ask for help. 
As we always share, there's no shame in asking for help. In fact, it's just the opposite. It takes strength to ask for help. So we thank you for all that you were doing, for all that you brought to us in this podcast, and for our audience always for, for joining us. And I want to, now we're taking a little um, journey differently, I talk about different journeys, right? And I want to turn this now over to Odell so she can share with our audience what we're going to be doing. Uh, Anola said it perfectly. When God calls you, it's your responsibility to, to go. And I've been hearing God say, let's do something. Let's, let's, let's talk. You know, how do you now take all of your podcasts, all of your talking of trauma, all of your teaching, you know, that's been virtual. You hope people are tuning in and listening, but now how do you take it into the community? So what Kathy and I are going to do, we're going to be taking a break from podcasting so that I can concentrate, we can concentrate on going into the community. We're training facilitators and the facilitators that we're training for the faith community, for the community, for youth and young adults and adults. So we want to train facilitators to go into their, where they're people are and train them how to become a mental wellness coach. We have a pilot coming up on the 21st. We will find out who's going to be present in that class tomorrow, but we're going to take all of everything that we've learned and do it virtually. You know, I've sat there, Anola, I watch people call in, phone in, <laughs> zoom in, and this is what we've been doing. We don't have to meet physically. We don't have to go back to that. Mm -hmm. We can still reach people, but we want them to understand that they can also have a path towards healing. So that's what we're going to do. I am more experienced in teaching adults, and Kathy has the experience with working with youth. So I'll train the adult facilitators and we'll both do the faith community. And Wonderful. then we're going to have the youth. So Community Baptist Church is um, going to send some, some people. Um, Bethel AME Church, Reverend um, Cousins says, I'm coming. I said, no, Reb, it's not for you. It's for you to send someone. <laughs> I'm trying to help you, not give you more work. Um, and my others, I'm not going to just say their names, but um, there's the New Haven community, their advisors are going to come to this training. So I have to give a shout out to Gwendolyn Bush because I called her and in the midst of talking to her, I started crying. I just, mm -hmm. I just had a moment and she was like, you don't have to cry, you know, because just like you said, our generations, how do we help generations from realizing that they have a future? You know, and how do we help them to understand that when they take a life, when they rape a woman, when they do something mm -hmm. they're not supposed to do, the impact that it has on generations and generations mm -hmm. and families. So we're going to, Kathy and I are coming into the community. Awesome. And this is what we're going to be doing. So hopefully you'll see our trainings. Um, and, you know, they'll be on social media. They'll be on Zoom. We're going to start talking about let's talk. Um, and I'm, you know, not going to be afraid of Nola to say that I've been through your training and it was wonderful. Please don't. <laughs> and, <laughs> We're going to be cheering you on. Anything that we can do to be helpful, we will do. Thank you. Um, so it's it's a start. I, I can tell you that two funders denied us funding. So we had to shift our timeline. And Alice Forrester called me. Yes, your girl. She called My me girl. and she said, yep. do you know how many times, Enola, oh, first of all, let's back up and say that I was depressed. I was sad. I was depressed. Covers over my head. And she said, do you know how many times Enola was denied funding? But look at where she is today. And I'm telling you, that's what I needed to hear. Oh. I got up, I revised the schedule, the agenda, and it was like, thank you. That's what I needed. So, cause I see where you are today. So funders are not supposed to validate who we are as I'd been told by David Adams. Funders don't validate you. God called you. So God Absolutely. validates your mission. So this is where Kathy and I are on this journey. We're coming into the community and we're taking all of our lessons learned, all of our passion, 
and to help others to realize that they can have emotional wellness. So Absolutely. we will be returning to our podcast uh, end of August, early September. So I did tell Kevin so he wouldn't hear about this for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to be able to, you know, you know, find, you know, also looking for sponsors. Kevin says, tell folks what you need. So we're looking for sponsors for our podcast or our message because it's about, you know, as you know, it's about supporting and helping everyone move forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So thank you for coming on. Thank you. And thank Kevin, you. Thank so you. happy for you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>